following program does not necessarily reflect the views of WABC Radio. A brand new sound for your Sunday morning. The only one who could ever teach me. Introducing the Reverend A.R. Bernard of the Christian Cultural Center. Was a son of a preacher man. And Rabbi Joseph Fantasnik of Religion on the Line. The only one who could ever teach me. Now, now on 77 WABC. The Rev and the Rabbi. Where faith matters. Good morning and welcome. I'm Rabbi Joseph Fantasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend, I'm walking to the studio, and there's a person out there yelling, it's the end of the world, it's going to end. You know, I think he said on Monday, and uh, it's all over. So believe in God. So I said to him, you know, I, I want to believe what you say, but just to make sure you're telling me the truth, could you sign over all your valuables to me, your house, your car, whatever you own, <laughs> give it to me, because as of Monday, you won't need it anymore. And he didn't want to do it. So I I question these guys with the end of world predictions, you know. Uh, yeah, give me all your money, yeah. All of a sudden, no, 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 not so quick. Rev, this has been a an intriguing week. There's been all this attention paid to the royal family. Now, I'm one... Wait, yeah, you mean you're going to talk about the royal family? Well, uh, and the Oprah interview and, you know... Reluctant. Yeah, I'll tell you okay. what, I, I, I come from a family where you didn't pry into the private affairs of other families. We had our family that we valued, let others have their... Every family has some issues. I've never, you know, I don't know of a perfect family. In the Bible, there were no perfect families. They all had issues. But I don't understand, between me and you and everyone else listening, I don't understand the need to open the doors and look into the affairs of the royal family or any family. And uh, I, I was very uncomfortable. I know we're talking about it now. But I have to say there's, there's a certain discomfort level that I have um, when people are publicly accused of things, they're not defending themselves, when people are publicly humiliated. Uh, I, it's not to me one of those positive moments. But Rabbi, that's the world in which we live. Social media is about prying into people's personal lives. And this didn't start with social media. We have programs like, do you remember Current Affairs sure, with Maury sure. Povich? Yeah. Remember that? He's, by uh, the way, and now he's affairs. on with, you know, saying you are the father. Uh, you know. uh, yeah, 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 you are the father. Yeah. But programs like that, and then Inside Edition, and then uh, the host, the list of them. And, and what was it about? It was about prying into the private lives of celebrities. And people loved it. The ratings were off the roof. And then came social media. And now you have a platform where everybody can now put their lives on. You know, my social media people tell me, well, you know, you know, uh, they, they want, Rev, they want you to know, they want to know about, you know, what motorcycle you ride and what do you do on Sundays and Saturdays. Come to call Mondays. me. I said, yeah. I, said <laughs> I said, are you serious? People want to know about this stuff? He said, yeah, that's that's where people are. They're, they're, they're curious. They want yeah. to know. So I'm not surprised that here we are especially with this uh, so-called revealing interview between Oprah and, and Meghan and, 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 and Harry, and it's, it's reverberated. And, of course, the big issue uh, is the issue of race. Yeah. You know? Well, firstly, I, I just want to say there's a phrase from the German, Schadenfreude, and what it means is the joy of someone else's pain. And I, I just think when all of these programs and all these revelations come forward, there are people who just... 
they love it. They love hearing that someone else has misery. Uh, they love hearing that someone else is going through a difficult period. And I'm just, I, I think there are bigger issues in life than to learn the sordid details in someone else's home. Frankly, I don't care what goes on in Buckingham Palace. I've never been, I was never invited uh, by the Queen to the palace. But I really don't care what goes on unless it impacts the lives of everyone else. Um, I'm going to ask you a question, uh, Rabbi. Did you watch the interview with Oprah? I did only because, you know why? (laughs) No, because, look, I read things, you know, I I read things about sports even though, you know, I'm not interested in certain teams because I know people are talking about it. ABC has a slogan, if you're talking about it, we're talking about it. We're talking about it. Right, and I think, look, isn't that something? You and I, as clergy, right, and we deal with spiritual lives, we deal with eternal values and eternal issues, right? But we have to be savvy when it comes to pop culture, because we thrive, and and our program is the intersection of faith and culture. So we've got to know. But it's the intersection (laughs) where both come together. And I think when I look at the interview, I have to ask, what does faith tradition say about what's going on? And one of the things that was impressed upon me again and again, I've seen this many times, there is a marked difference between the image and the reality. Remember Superman? Yeah. I loved Superman. He was invincible except when it came to kryptonite, but there was anything he couldn't do. Well, in real life, he committed suicide. Yeah, that's right, right. George Reeves. Right. Yeah. So here's yeah. the image was, couldn't be destroyed. And mm-hmm. reality, he destroyed himself. So you look, you know, the royals and uh, the image, everything is so mag- beautiful, magnificent. What a lifestyle. The reality is they're like many other families. <laughs> they have all kinds of issues they have to confront. And that is something that, uh, to me, uh, has to be discussed. That's what we look at. So people hold, I remember I saw a couple holding hands and I, I said to the wife, that's oh, so nice the way you hold hands all the time. He says, what are you talking about? He always cracks his knuckles, and I'm going to hold that hand so I don't have to hear that noise. You know, so it's not, you know, the image and the reality are different from one another. So uh, This is so true. Yeah. And, and you know what? It's funny because we've been fed the images for, right. for the last hundred years of television and movies, and then reality TV came yeah. into play. Yeah. And, on the, and now we're supposedly seeing the reality only to discover that the reality is actually actually shaping an image. <laughs> so anyway, we uh, we got a real interview uh, we're going to have today with someone who you and I, whom you and I have come to respect over the years, and that's Congresswoman Grace Meng of the 6th Congressional District, and she, uh, she has introduced a, a lot of good legislation, and she's been outspoken in the attacks against the Asian community, which unfortunately have increased uh, over the last period. So yeah. we yeah. look forward to uh, speaking with her. Stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned. You're listening to 77 WABC, The Rev and, and the, the Rabbi. Rabbi. All right. This portion of our program is sponsored by Calvary Hospital. Dear Calvary Hospital, when my beloved wife Kathy was suffering from a rare and terminal lung disease, our entire family knew that she needed expert care. We knew that she needed Calvary Hospital. The skills and compassion of your doctors and nurses managed her pain and embraced us all with comfort and love. You gave us time to be a family again. And when our son was getting married and Kathy could not attend, you arranged a remote telecast so she could watch and be part of the entire wedding 
from a hospital bed. Who does that? We will never forget what you mean to us. God bless you, Calvary Hospital. Yours truly, Joe Salvaggio. This is Frank Calamari, president of Calvary Hospital. During this time, be assured that Calvary continues to provide the safest and healthiest environment for our staff, our patients, and their families. This portion of our program is sponsored by Calvary Hospital. The latest news, behind-the-scenes videos. Get it all now. Like 77 WABC on Facebook. WABC. Where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi. 77 WABC. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasso. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend... As members of the clergy, we're privileged to meet many special people. And I include amongst that august body, Congresswoman Grace Meng of the 6th Congressional District. Uh, To me, she represents uh, the spirit of diversity in New York. She represents different sides, different uh, peoples. For example, if you walk down Main Street in Queens, you have members of the Jewish community living on one side, members of the Asian community living on the other side, sometimes living, you know, side by side. She represents both sides. And uh, recently she was appointed co-chair of the House Bipartisan Task Force for Combating Anti-Semitism. What does that say when uh, a woman of Congressman Meng's background uh, is selected for that uh, very, very sacred task? So uh, she belongs to all of us, and we're very privileged to have you. Good morning, Congresswoman Meng. Good morning, Rabbi Potasnik. Good morning, Reverend Bernard. I am, as always, honored to be in your presence. It is so good to be with you, and thank you for joining us. At a time, unfortunately, that we are speaking about an issue that is uh, uncomfortable, um, because we're talking about uh, attacks on Asian Americans in New York City, and uh, we, we'll talk about it uh, across the country as well. But Asian Americans make up 16% of the New York City population. And the problem is that there has been a spike in attacks over uh, the last year throughout the pandemic. Uh, what has been the reports to you and your community? Well, you're right. It is really a very scary and hurtful time. And this is a community that traditionally has sort of been taught to, you know, just blend in and and keep quiet. And and people will view you as American enough and you'll fit in. Um, And so it really is a whole change in cultural dynamic where we're saying to folks, you got to speak out if something happens because it will help prevent other people from becoming victims. Um, In the last two weeks, there have been multiple incidents in my own district. Last night, there was a case with a mom and a baby who got spat on a few times. So, you know, this is a very scary time for people. You know, I I must tell you, and as a member of the Jewish world, uh, there were those who for years said, keep quiet, don't say anything, Uh, it'll Mm. it'll go away. Uh, wow. You know, and you're just going to incur the wrath of more potential anti-Semites if you say something. And you know what you learn? That wow. you, you don't do yourselves a favor by keeping quiet. It doesn't go away. Wow. There are people who are going to dislike. And if they sense that you're not responding, they sense weakness, they're going to come back mm. at you again. So I, mm. I see this as a moment, Reverend Bernard and 
Uh, I think this is an opportunity for the African-American community, Asian community, Jewish community, all those who've been victimized by prejudice to stand together mm-hmm. and say, you attack them, you attack us. Uh Uh, Yeah, we have to come together. And look, assimilation into American society has been difficult throughout American history, Uh, going back to Jews, the Irish, the Italians, uh, Asians, African-Americans, of course. We we know that history that's uh, rooted in slavery. So that's a difficult thing. And sometimes it's easier to say, well, let me just... uh, blend in, stay low-keyed, and, you know, no one will know I'm here, or it'll just go away. But that's not Uh, true, especially in the times that we're in right now. Yeah, throughout history. I mean, the Jews of Germany, you take in the 30s, they said, oh, they're not going to do anything to us. We're we're one of them. We've blended in. Uh, So that argument fails the test. Uh, And I'm just proud that, you know, we have someone like the congresswoman uh, who stands up and says what needs to be said. Congressman, what are some of the initiatives that you see taking place uh, to combat the anti-Asian prejudice? Well, first, I want to say how proud I am for the different communities in New York and across the country who have come together. This has been a really tough year for America and especially a tough year for New Yorkers. We were, as you all know, uh, at the epicenter of the epicenter. We went from exactly a year ago from being the first in the country to endure this pandemic, not really having a roadmap not really getting sufficient support from the government um, to uh, George Floyd's murder and Black Lives Matter's protests showing the hurt that so many people in our country feel and have endured uh, to the ongoing attacks against Asian Americans. And I will say from the very beginning for the Asian American community, we have seen and felt and heard support from the black community, the Jewish community, um, other communities as well. National groups like ADL, AJC, the NAACP, National Urban League have stood up with our community. And so there are legislative initiatives and solutions, but I just want to take this moment to applaud this uh, collaboration and coalition building in our city because as one local activist told me uh, the answer to racism is never more racism the answer to racism is solidarity Um, and so I'm just so proud of our different communities coming together in ways they've never done before and it's beautiful Um, And I will say that, you know, a couple of things we're working on legislatively. One is to really, and we're thankful for President Biden um, for uh, signing into law pieces of legislation, including mine, which uh, basically condemn discrimination against Asian Americans, but also, um, you know, ask for more resources at agencies like the Department of Justice to have, you know, more uh, resources, more data collecting on the uh, more uh, the the situation that is happening across the country so we can uh, better target our resources towards combating this problem. Let me ask you a question, because many of the attacks don't result in hate crimes charges because there's no audible racial slur, there's no self-incriminating statement made by the mm-hmm. perpetrator, and often there's no history of racist behavior uh, from, from the attacker. Um, how, do you, how do you deal with that? That's a really good question, and that's something that is really um, 
you know, conflicting even within the community because they'll say, why should I report it? It wasn't necessarily a hate crime. Um, but for us, you know, as, as community leaders, we're just telling the community, you still have to report it because we need to know whether it ends up being a hate crime or not. We need to know how many of these incidents are happening, where they're happening. We need to provide better resources and multiple languages uh, to people. This is an opportunity for for education. And we know the mayor has a task force, a hate crimes task force, uh, devoted uh, to this issue. Um, and we need to spread the word and, and help educate people. Um, so it's not necessarily just about, you know, the actual charge of the hate crime, um, but all the education that goes before and after it, too. We're speaking with and Congresswoman Grace Meng, 6th Congressional District. Uh, you know, I was talking with uh, D.A. Eric Gonzalez, Reverend, you and I know him quite well, Kings County, and he said something to me which is interesting. I mentioned it uh, recently. And that is, the people who have been apprehended, who have been perpetrating hate attacks, for example, against Jews, uh, were put through a program, a rigorous program, of learning exactly, you know, what it means to attack a Jew, what a swastika represents, other symbols that have been used, other words have been used. And I asked the D.A., how many of those people returned committed the crime again? He said, none. Wow. Uh, so I think, you know, we talk about education. It's got to be the right kind of education because we know there are people who are educated who are hate mongers. But mm-hmm. I think we have to develop a curriculum that really impresses upon people the need to respect the other who is different and in some ways the same. I think that's so important. And that curriculum allows us to facilitate through our conscience uh, which hopefully we all have a morally informed conscience in this world, uh, but to facilitate empathy. And empathy is something that can't be taught. It's not until a person is exposed to context and history uh, that they can begin to experience empathy. And I think that curriculum idea is, is great. I mean, uh, Rabbi and I, uh, Congresswoman, have been working with the New York City Police Department, meeting with the police commissioner, uh, to build relationships between uh, the African-American community and, mm-hmm. and the police force. And even in the mm-hmm. Asian-Americans, they're reluctant to cooperate with police because mm-hmm. they believe police don't care or, mm-hmm. or, or they're not doing enough. Isn't that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, what, what you are both saying, um, I, I believe in that 200 percent. You know, when I was in the state legislature, uh, I got one of my bills signed into law, which basically gives a judge uh, discretion when someone is convicted of a hate crime, gives a judge discretion to use um, counseling uh, instead of um, just sentencing and putting someone into uh, a facility, correctional facility, because as uh, as Rabbi Potasnik said, a lot of this is uh, the need for education. I'm also working on legislation um, in Congress um, to provide more opportunities for a more diverse teaching of American history. You know, growing up in the United States, I was born and raised here, but I barely learned about Japanese Americans being incarcerated in camps mm-hmm. who were yeah. citizens. I barely learned that Chinese immigrants helped build the railroad. I barely learned that slaves built the capital, the very place where I work every single day. And we need to have a more complete teaching of American history in this country. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we'll be speaking 
again with Congresswoman Grace Banks, 6th Congressional di- District, and really a, a, an advocate uh, for people of different backgrounds and beliefs. Stay tuned. The following program does not necessarily reflect the views of WABC Radio. Sinai Chapels provides compassionate care to New York's Jewish community. Conveniently located in Fresh Meadows, Queens, every funeral detail is handled by an attentive professional staff according to each family's personal and religious preferences. Sinai staff is at the chapel for you, 24 hours, 7 days a week. Sinai Chapels is committed to your health and safety and offers carefully planned and socially distanced services at their modern chapel or area cemeteries. Sinai has developed Zoom programs for live stream services, shiva, and consultation. Sinai Chapels offers pre-need plans to relieve families of making arrangements at a difficult time. Sinai's pre-need plans offer savings and are 100% government-backed. For more information, please call Sinai Chapels or visit jewishfunerals.com. That's jewishfunerals.com. Sinai Chapels in Fresh Meadows, Queens, providing compassionate care for four generations. Reverend A. R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Potasnik, The Rev and the Rabbi, where faith matters. 77 WABC and WABCRadio.com. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. You're joining the Reverend the Rabbi right here on 77 WABC. You know what's interesting, Reverend? uh, Uh, Go ahead. Congress is divided. And, you know, that's not a, doesn't take a neurosurgeon to figure that out. Uh, But it just seems to me that we are proceeding on a path, a trajectory in terms of group relations that is uh, far uh, better than it was years ago. We're looking to come closer to one another. Uh, I think you see more alliances. You see more dialogues. Uh, you see more pulpit exchanges. Uh, people really want to learn about the other. So no matter what happens in Congress, that's not going to be the template uh, for those uh, of the different faith communities. So I, I'm just proud, uh, Congresswoman, that you're seeing the solidarity that needs to be shown and sends a message to haymongers, you're not going to separate us. Uh, you're not going to divide us from one another. On the contrary, you're going to bring us even closer. Exactly. That is the message we need to send and to practice. I love it. Now, now Congresswoman, uh, the New York City attacks, uh, they say, tends to mirror a trend that's happening across the country. And this is from the AAPI, the Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. Uh, Stop the Hate organization. Mm -hmm. Uh, They reported some 3,000 incidents since the pandemic. So Mm -hmm. it's not just here in New York City, but it's across the country that that we're seeing this kind of thing. And 3,000, that's a large number. Yeah, it's a large number. And I believe that there are so many more incidents that haven't been reported. You know, people are are nervous to report. People don't want to go through the quote unquote hassle. There might not be, you know, cultural or multilingual resources available to to assist them in helping to report it. Um, So, yes, it, it is very frightening. And we're still hearing cases, you know, every single day we see something. Now, now, the mayor created an Asian hate crimes task force, and they said that this is a group of detectives, uh, and they're, they're combined, they speak some 10 uh, languages. Uh, have you interacted with that task force at all? 
Um, we have been on some virtual events together. We did a press conference with the mayor a few days ago. Um, and so I appreciate Mayor de Blasio really being very outspoken from day one, actually, uh, on this issue, um, putting together this task force. We want to make sure that they are given the resources and tools to be even more effective. Um, and I also want to commend our attorney general, Tish James, because she also from day one uh, has been very vocal about this. She put out a hotline where people could more easily report these types of incidents, which is very helpful as well. Congresswoman, one of the things that you've been, uh, I know, advocating aggressively is uh, security grants. Uh, we need to have more cameras in more places. Uh, so when, God forbid, the attack happens, uh, we can have an image of a perpetrator. Talk about that. Uh, what exactly is the bill uh, expressing? Yeah, well, definitely. I found out that this is a federal program, uh, grant monies, that many of my constituents didn't know about. We were able to, through our appropriations committee in Congress, we were able to double the amount of funding that these nonprofits and houses of worship were able to get across the country. Um, last year, you know, I had 15 houses of worship who were able to get this funding, who literally would uh, use this money to help you know, beef up their security system, whether it's video cameras, fencing, a more solid door, for example. Um, and it's literally helped to keep my constituents and Americans across the country. It's helped to keep them safe. This, you know, this is uh, something that synagogues, mosques, temples, churches, they can apply for. You know, I, I was thinking, you, you said that there's a hotline available uh, to report the attack. There's also a website uh, to report the attacks and responses. Uh, and, and that makes sense because collecting data, I think, helps us understand, uh, hopefully, motives that are behind it and a portrait of those individuals who are perpetrating these kind of crimes uh, against Asian Americans. It, uh, where do people go if they want more information about this? So there is uh, a very commonly used hashtag is Stop uh, Asian Hate, uh, and you can see that they've published a lot of different resources. There are phone numbers. I, I can get the number for you, um, but stopaapi.org, stopaapihate.org uh, is a good website. Yeah. So you know, one of the things that I've seen, unfortunately, is that hatred doesn't stop at a certain age. Uh, one of the professional Asian basketball players, Jeremy Lim, uh, has spoken about slurs that he's heard uh, in the world of sports. Uh, so, you know, we, we can't just, this curriculum is good, you know, for kids going through high school, and hopefully it, uh, you know, it prevents later on, but there are a lot of people later on uh, who seem to be uh, addicted to hatred. There's just a, 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 I don't know if you saw the story, Reverend and Congresswoman, uh, a basketball player, uh, I think Myers Leonard, Miami Heat Center, who spoke in the most horrific way about Jews. And he said, I didn't know I was saying anything wrong. And I think, how do you go through life? How do you reach that stage and not know that those words are offensive? I don't get it. So, you know, uh, we have a lot of work to do, but we shouldn't think that once people graduate the 12th grade, oh, we're, we're okay, we're not going to see any more hate crimes. Right, 100%. I think education is important, the curriculum is important, and, you know, 
relationships are important. And that's why leaders like both of you and, uh, and our community organizations, the work that they do is so crucial. They're on the ground. They're on the front lines every single day uh, trying to build upon these relationships, build bridges between communities. Um, and even in a diverse city like New York, uh, we have a lot more work to do. I've been spending a lot of time on virtual Zooms. Yesterday, I did one with faith leaders from all different communities uh, in Queens, and, and we're, we're, we're going to plan more, too. But it is really therapeutic and so enlightening. We live so close to each other here in New York City, but we don't have enough opportunities to interact and to get to know each other. You know, uh, something that Rabbi just mentioned uh, uh, about that, that sense of ignorance that people have uh, I'm working with uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s daughter, Bernice King, on a oh, project called Faith and Prejudice, yeah. and uh, we're creating curriculum. Uh, we're working with churches across the country wow. to help them understand, uh, you know, the other and what it means to interact with the, the other. And one of the things that we found, that ignorance can be willful, but a lot of it is culturally induced ignorance. When you grow up in a bubble and you're removed from the experiences of so many other people, uh, you tend to feel indifferent, like that doesn't affect me, or, uh, you know, there's a denial of, of, of the existence of these things. And so, you know, even in educating, Rabbi, the students that we educate, we have to deal yeah. with ignorance, denial, and indifference Wait. in the minds of those that we're trying to educate. You know, it's interesting. Julian Edelman, a great football star, sent a letter to Myers Leonard of the Miami Heat. And Edelman has Jewish roots. And he said, look, from what I hear, you didn't know what you said was wrong. And that bothers me. Because mm -hmm. it's it's one thing when someone does it intentionally, then you know exactly how to deal with it. But when you go through a period of life and you don't know what you're saying is offensive, that becomes more difficult to deal with. So Edelman said, and he did the same with Deshaun Jackson, another uh, NFL football player who said something that was anti-Semitic. He said, how about you and I get together? We'll have a, a Shabbat dinner. We'll have a meal together. I'll take you to the Museum of you know, Jewish Heritage in New York. We'll go to the Holocaust Museum and Hospital. And I got to say, that kind of outreach, I find, is constructive. We're all going to make yeah. the statements condemning what was said. But what's the step B? Step A, you know, it's wrong. What's step B going to look like? And that's why I think Edelman made a great contribution to saying, let's do something together so you can appreciate my, my background as I want to appreciate yours. It has to be that kind of exchange of information and the desire. But I think the, the culturally induced ignorance is the biggest challenge because, you know, people live in different sections of this country and some of them are never exposed uh, to right. Asians. I mean, that's that's different. Right. You know, it's changing as America becomes uh more uh, pluralistic uh, racially and ethnically, but we still have to deal with these realities. Mm -hmm. Congressman, and it's been great having this conversation with you and uh, having you on the program. Well, uh, what's what's ahead for you? Um, well, we are very thankful that Congress was finally able to pass legislation to help our communities and our families recover from the pandemic. You know, we want to get more vaccines out. We want to reopen schools, reopen our businesses. Um, there's so much to do. We finally got legislation passed. And so we're just excited to get back to the business of helping the American people. 
you know. Uh, yeah, this is, I, I'm sorry, I was just saying that this has affected the Asian community greatly yeah. because a lot of it is retail uh, ec- economy, correct? Definitely. And we were a lot of the Asian American small businesses were feeling the effects even before the virus hit us here in New York. You know, people thought if you went to a Chinese takeout, you might catch the virus or something. Um, So there was a lot of false information out there. So, you know, we have a responsibility. As I say, you know, the day after uh, Matt is very often and sometimes is more important than the day of. So the day after the attack, the day after you and I speak, uh, we have a responsibility to, to foster exchanges. we got to do more so we don't just remain in our separate silos and only talk right. to people who look and speak like us. Uh, but we got to get out there and, and continue to open doors a little more widely. And, uh, I just commend you. You're, you've been great. And I, uh, you've been a great friend. I tell you from the Jewish community standpoint, you've been there for us from day one. Uh, and uh, not that there's a quid pro quo, but... Uh, we know what it is to be on the other side. Therefore, we have to stand with uh, mm-hmm. those on the other side. Uh, and obviously, uh, Reverend Bernard, you know, has had the experience. Uh, uh, of, he knows what it is to be a victim of prejudice. Uh, so we, we, we need each other. and we got to respond together with one another. And I just say thank you as well. Congresswoman Grace Mang, 6th Congressional District. Go on her website. Take a look at what she's done. Uh, I think you're going to be extremely impressed. Absolutely. Thank you, Congresswoman. Thank you. I'm grateful to both of you. We are to you. God bless. And we'll be back with more of the Rev and the Rabbi right here on 77 WABC. Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Fantastic, where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi, 77 WABC. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Fantastic. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. You know, Reverend, I have felt, and I strongly mean this, that I've come closer to people uh, of different traditions, uh, of different beliefs. Uh, it's it's moving in the right direction. Sadly, sometimes it takes a crisis to create an opportunity. So I, you know, interesting in the Chinese language, the word for crisis also means opportunity. But sometimes, yeah, yeah. you know, it takes that kind of uh, hateful moment to create, you know, uh, a place where we can learn more about each other and then the relationship develops from there. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I will tell you, I've spent since 1999, which was my first trip to Asia, uh, I started working with uh, churches in Singapore and then Malaysia, then Indonesia. And I've been back and forth to Asia, now Taiwan, uh, at least four times a year for the last 20 years. And, you know, they're not monolithic like we're not. And, right. and the Jewish community isn't. They have issues within their own community. We do. But I, I yeah, but I will tell you, I, I've learned so much about the culture. The food is amazing also. But I learned so much about the culture, the differences. Uh, and, and, you know, the fact that at the end of the day, as human beings, we, we just want to have a, a, a quality of life live in our communities, have a good family, experience safety, upward mobility, protection, respect, you know, all of those things. It doesn't matter where you are around the world. Uh, That human desire is the same. 
But it's difficult when you come into a context like the United States that is so diverse and yet has a history of, 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 of fears and, 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 and rejection of the other. That's, yep. that's the truth. That's the reality here in America. God bless America. Wonderful country. I love it. Uh, but we're still working through some of those issues that are historically entrenched in American society. It's a great country, and there's nothing wrong with saying we want to make it greater. Uh, that's yeah. when, when you love something or someone, you're always seeking, how can I make it even better? Uh, what can I add to, you know, to this equation to strengthen it? Uh, and uh, I, I must say that um, we, have, we have certainly come a long way. Look, Jewish history is replete with not only pain, but abandonment. Where you know we lived in various countries, and when the attack started, um, we looked to the government, and they wouldn't come forward. Uh, we looked to various communities, and they wouldn't come forward because they were very often perpetrating the attacks. But hmm. thankfully, we've reached a day where you know, if there's an attack on a synagogue, a church, a mosque, wherever, the group that's going to come forward is not just going to be comprised of members of that congregation. Uh, right. That doesn't right. that doesn't happen anymore. You know, there's an International Religious Freedom Act. Uh, which deals with desecration of cemeteries, for example. And I've been very involved with an organization here in New York called KJAC, which deals with cemeteries in distress, cemeteries that have been abandoned, where you, you, know, you go to visit a loved one buried there, and you say, my God, look, look what's happened uh, to this area here. And it is fascinating to me the number of non-Jews who say, we want to help clean up some of those neglected, you know, those Jewish cemeteries, uh, and vice versa. Uh, so it, it's it's no longer, you know, I'll care about my family, you worry about yours, and, you know, don't bother me with your problems, and I won't bother you with mine. That's not the way it works. Love your neighbor doesn't say you're a Christian, Jewish, Muslim neighbor. Just love your neighbor. It applies to everyone. Absolutely. I thank you for quoting the New Testament, even though you wait, claim wait. we stole it from the Hebrew wait, wait, love, uh, Bible. <laughs> love your neighbor. I, yeah, I, I think we have the I think we have the trademark on that one. <laughs> you, you, you think you do. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, in the in the Proverbs, um, there's a wonderful passage that says wisdom is the principal thing. Get wisdom. But in all of your getting, get understanding. And I think that's so important. Understanding means you sit down, you hear the story, you, you, you give it value, you understand the context, you understand the history. You know, people, ah, well, I, don't want to, I don't want to take the time to do that. But I think that we have a responsibility as our brother's keeper, as our neighbor, to understand, to know who our neighbor is and what their journey has been. It makes for a better world, don't you think, Rabbi? Yeah, there is a statement, again, in Jewish tradition that says, respect precedes study. What does that mean? I can be very learned, but if I don't respect you, if I don't look at you as a creature of God, as an equal, then my learning is is empty. My learning is deficient. Uh, So, you know, we we have to have priorities. And the word respect, as one who took Latin for four years in school, respect comes from spectare, to look again. To look again. Mm. So what does that mean? I look at someone, and I may see someone who's Asian or African-American or Jewish. Now look again, and you'll see someone who has more than just an external appearance. There's a human being there 
who has much to offer. Look for that person. How many times have we heard stories of people who are volunteers at food pantries, at homeless shelters, and they meet someone and spend the time, not just to give the person some change or some food, but spend the time talking to the person, learning, you know what? This person has a background. This person grew up with a mother and father. This person's life, you know, uh, went astray at a certain point. But there's a human being who values my respect. And I I wish we can convey that more because unless we have respect, uh, we're not going to be in a place that's healthy. I like that. That's a great sermon, Rabbi. You keep giving me all these great messages. And <laughs> no, but it's I true. Guess, like, <laughs> By the way, didn't our parents no. teach us that? Didn't our parents yeah. teach us that, you know, uh, respect matters more than anything else? Look how we, when we spoke to our parents, I could even say you, you know, or she. My mother would say, who's the you? Who's the she? <laughs> it's your mother, right? I mean, we we, we, we grew. I grew up with a, learning a certain kind of vocabulary. You know, today, you know, the cursing, it's all over the place. But God help us if we would dare to curse in front of our parents. You know, you, you wouldn't even sit in your dad or mom's chair. They had a place at the table. You wouldn't even sit in their seat because you knew... That's respect. That belongs and to you, them. You couldn't do it in front of your parents, and you couldn't do it in front of the elders. We used to have a block association. You know, when you live, when you raise in the city, you know what a block is, right? There was my block, your block, and and I will tell you, the 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 adults, the older people who lived on the block, they looked out for us and they watched us. And man, if we did something wrong, if we said something wrong, it was reported. You know, to to, to our parents, uh, they knew before they got home. Somehow it was magical, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But there was this kind of community relationship where we all looked out with, for each other. We treated each other with respect. We said, Mrs. So-and-so, Ms. So-and-so, Mr. So-and-so. Uh, that's how I was raised. And I will tell you, as, as society became more and more informal, you know, uh, we began to lose that kind of respect that that held us together and made us appreciate, you know, who we are as individuals. The most frightening night for me growing up, and maybe for you, was the night of parent-teachers. <laughs> I knew yeah. that my parents were going to meet with the teacher, and I said, I hope, <laughs> for my own survival, I hope... That they get a positive report, and by the way, they always did because I was a perfect kid. Yeah, right. Of course, yeah. you had to. But, cap- um, <laughs> but you know, I dreaded because God forbid the teacher said he misbehaved in class. You know, if you didn't do so well in a subject, all right, you'll get help, you'll do better. But if you misbehaved, if you're what they call what they call it deportment years ago, I think it was called. If you mm-hmm. didn't act appropriately in class. Wow. You were you were in for a rough evening coming home. You were held. You know, we talk about accountability. You were accountable for your behavior. And you couldn't say, well, it wasn't my fault. It was somebody else who distracted me. No, no. You could have said no. Uh, and I, I just wish that sense of discipline, that sense of uh, priority uh, existed in, in all the homes today. Uh, we need to we need to convey that to, to young people. If we want them to walk in the proper path, we got to, you know, fashion the path a little bit. Yeah, it's important. You know, I, I'm a history buff and I've been reading uh, about the last several decades since the 1960s and how things have developed, but also how 
uh, morality and 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 respect and all of these things that we valued has declined mm-hmm. uh, over the last you know five six decades. It's reflected in our music, in 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 our literature, in 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 our uh, movies and television. Uh, just a steady decline in 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 standards yeah. of, of of respect and values. You know, and, and now I'm probably sounding like an old geezer here, but. You I know, wish we had. This, I wish we had more people sounding like old geezers. This is, yeah. this is what tears yeah. the fabric, the moral fabric yeah. of our society. Yeah. You know, it doesn't happen overnight. It yeah. happens over time, over process. You know, there's a book by now, Jonathan Sachs, Lord Jonathan Sachs. He has since passed, tragic passing, uh, entitled "Morality." Read it. Look at where morality was, and is, and needs to be. All right, this has been a, a great, great uh, program today, and I, I really enjoyed our conversation. Absolutely. Always great spending time with you, Rabbi, my dear friend and brother here in life. And, of course, our listening audience. Thank you for always tuning in to the Rev and the Rabbi. Uh, I know you tune in for me, but thank you for listening to the Rabbi, too. (laughs) The modest Rev, yeah. And also, what Rev didn't say is, I'm his younger brother. Make sure we we clarify that. Okay, yeah, right. All right, next week. We'll be back with more of the Rev and and the the Rabbi. Rabbi.